Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Uh, so I'm excited. We're, we're starting a new and fresh series. Um, look around. You're all here. That's really fun. Um, and uh, so we're going to lay some groundwork today for the next few weeks. I said last week that we kind of scrapped our all of our fall plans, and we just want to talk about Jesus for the next few weeks, um, which feels good and right uh, in the season and at a church. But um, uh, something just stirred in me as I was writing the sermon last week when we were talking about hearing the the voice of Jesus. Um, and it was just this reminder that to hear the voice of Jesus, we have to know Jesus. And that that's not just something that we do one time, but something that we do over and over and over and over again. Um, it's like a, a, a knowing, a, a constant and steady thing throughout an entire lifetime, which honestly for me has been one of the most surprising things about Jesus and one of the things I like the most because I'm uh, easily bored, I think would be the phrasing. And so the fact that Jesus is constantly surprising or, or new or there, there's still deeper things to know has has uh, been a gift for me. So um, today we're going to uh, talk about something that honestly I used to preach once a year at Springbrook. It's been a few years since I've done it. I don't know why, but, but we're bringing it back. Um, but uh, it's just some... I don't know, it's kind of like I was praying, some grooves to help us understand the scripture lesson that, that Lindsay just read, but also to kind of set us up for the coming uh, week. So in order to do that, in order to look at that scripture, uh, I want to talk about, um, or what I want to do is I want to put it in the context of uh, the first century. Uh, I, I love the history of the Bible. Some of you do too. That's one of the fun things that I talk about with some of you here. Um, I, I love to take the Bible and to put it into the context of history. To, to me, that, that, that just makes it come alive in a new way. It feels exciting in a new way. And so, um, like, I don't know, a, a decade or so ago, I, I saw a video uh, about the stuff I'm going to talk about today. And um, it, it was just... I don't know, it was about synagogue school, which may not sound very interesting, but to me, um, it was incredibly interesting, and it, and it formed these grooves in me that, that helped me understand uh, what Jesus was doing in this moment in a new way. So um, this, this, it kind of was like an imprint uh, to, to bring this into context, to really open up the story uh, that we read today. So um, I think that one of the things that's great about history is that it feels like an access ramp into the scriptures a lot of times. Um, that history doesn't um, like exclude the Bible, but history actually gives us access to a deeper understanding of it. And, and so um, I think it's important for us as 21st century Americans to learn how to put ourselves in the shoes of first century Jews, uh, because most of the New Testament was written by first century Jews. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about Hebrew school and then we'll talk about why I think it matters uh, for us as we seek to walk uh, with Jesus in our lives, which feels really good because it's back to school time. So we'll just go, I guess, back to Hebrew school. I don't know. Um, so uh, in synagogue school, there were three levels, three sections, so to speak. I guess we can kind of relate to that because we uh, or used to have elementary school, middle school, 
high school. Right now there's lots of schools. I think in the county it's still elementary, middle, and high school. Um, and, and so I guess we can kind of relate to that. Um, level one, though, like the first section of schools um, for a first century Jewish kid is something called Beit Sefer. And Beit Sefer, the, the literal translation of that in English is house of the book. And so, um, but what happened is kids would show up, and this is uh, boys and sometimes girls, uh, ages like four to six until maybe ten-ish, so kind of like an elementary school, primary school age. They would show up to school, and, and this was kind of the basics of learning, like very similar to what elementary school is for us. But uh, this is Jewish school, and so there was a really pointed approach toward the Jewish scriptures. Uh, I read a Hebrew scholar this week that said it's important to know that, that Jewish school existed by the book and for the book. That was why it existed. Everything came from or led back to the Jewish scriptures, to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And so during this section of school, uh, kids would memorize the entire Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of it memorized. Little kids, I, I don't know if you remember what it was like to be eight, but Seriously? Like the entire Torah. I don't want to brag, but when Huck was eight, he had memorized the words to a song called It's Raining Tacos and half of Old Town Road till I couldn't handle it anymore. Like that's what he was memorizing as a pastor's child. So, but these kids are memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, again, level one, it was all about the book, Me memorizing the book. Um, another practice that I read about this week that I had totally forgotten about uh, that I loved is that um, the rabbis would at times cover the kids' pages in honey and then have them lick the honey off of the pages as they recited Psalm 119. And the rabbis would bless kids saying uh, that they would bless them that God's word would be like honey on their lips all of their lives. Isn't that so beautiful? I gave Aaron and, and Jordan that idea. So if your kids come home very sticky, blame the rabbis. It's not my fault. Um, uh, so that, that, the, these are the lessons of, of Beit Sefer. And then at the end of it, uh, most kids would graduate. That would be the end of schooling, especially for girls. Um, that would be the end of schooling. They would graduate and then they would move on, um, into a family trade or, or, or family business or a skill or something like that. Um, but for a few kids that really got it, like really, really understood and, and really seemed to vibe with what was happening, um, they, the, kind of the top of the class, they would get to move on and keep going to school. Um, honestly, as I was thinking about this this week, I was like, oh, I kind of wish that's how school worked here. I would have just like peeked out and, you know, gone to memorize it's raining tacos or something like that but um, if you really got if you're the top in your class then you got to move on and you would move on to level two or section two uh, which was called Beit Talmud or Beit Talmid um, which was the house of learning and so this the ages here would be around 10 years old to uh, becoming a teenager like bar mitzvah-ish age. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I can't find anywhere where girls were allowed to be part of this. So this would be just boys and the, the, the cream of the crop boys, the, the, the top learners uh, of every town. Uh, would be allowed into the house of learning. And in uh, Beit Talmud, you would learn from a local rabbi like a deeper knowledge of the scripture. It wasn't just about memorizing them, uh, though they did that. Uh, in Beit Talmud, you would memorize the next 19 chapters of the Bible, which is insane. 20, that's 24 
chapters of the Bible, Genesis to Malachi, memorized. But it wasn't just about memory in this section of learning. The house of learning was also about the application and the theory and the widening and deepening of a boy's understanding of the things of God. If you remember the story of Jesus when he gets uh, lost at the temple and his parents don't know where he is and he's sitting around talking to the rabbis, talking about uh, the scriptures, uh, that's what we're talking about here. That, that was what the house of learning was all about. And again, just to put this in perspective, um, If you want to know what I was doing at this stage of life, I was not memorizing the Old Testament. Um, I was working on some things, but they were not that thing. Uh, If you know me, then you know around this time of life, this was when I was working very hard to stage a meaningful revolution against my mother by not brushing my hair. That's what I was focusing my time on. And you'll be shocked. It takes a lot of effort to not brush your hair, almost as much effort as it takes to brush your hair. And that's, 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 that's where I was during this stage of life. I was mastering Sonic the Hedgehog and memorizing Shania Twain lyrics. Meanwhile, Hebrew boys are memorizing the entire Old Testament. Um, I have a friend that uh, in order to get a car, she had to memorize the book of Philippians, which I think is an amazing move. You're welcome, parents. I'm sorry, 15-year-olds in the room. There's a lot of you. Um, I think it's incredible, but I was thinking about that this week. If my parents had had me memorize the book of Philippians, I would still be walking. Like, I would, be, I would have invented Uber. That's what would have happened. Um, I, I think it's incredibly impressive. I've never memorized any book of the Bible, and they've memorized 24 Uh, And then at the end, again, of Beit Talmud, uh, there would be a a graduation point for most kids. Most kids would be considered an adult in their learning, uh, and so an adult in their faith, and so they would have moved on into a family trade or apprenticeship or something like that. Um, But again, uh, the very best of the best, the absolute cream of the crop got to move on. These are like the PhD candidates of teenage Hebrew boys. Um, the, the, they, they are PhD candidates at Harvard. Maybe that's a better way to say it. I was trying to do the math this week, and I think like 0.1% of all college applications get accepted into an Ivy League school. So this is what we're talking about. Like the absolute cream of the crop would move on to a level three of education, something called Beit Midrash. Uh, the, the English equivalent of that is house of study. And this was an incredibly specialized uh, uh, style of learning. In this section, uh, synagogue education meant that um, you would become an apprentice to a very specific rabbi. Not rabbis coming in to teach your class, but you going to a, a, a one rabbi. We see this in Acts 22. Paul says he sat at the feet of uh, Gamaliel, and, and, and that, that's what he's doing. He is sitting at the feet. He's in this apprenticeship to this specific rabbi. And so in order to do this, you would have to uh, essentially like apply to become a student of a rabbi or to become an apprentice of a rabbi, which meant um, learning their specific interpretations of the scriptures. So uh, their interpretations of the scriptures was was called their yoke. So you're going to learn their specific uh, yoke. A yoke was a view of the scriptures, which does kind of change uh, the verse, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I always heard that like it was uh, on a, a cow, but I think really what it's saying, what Jesus is saying, my interpretation to the scripture is easy and they're light. Anyway, that was for free. Uh, so to uh, become an apprentice of a rabbi would mean that you would not only learn from your rabbi, learn from them, their interpretation of the scripture, but you would also learn how to become like them. 
and how to do the things that they did. Learn how to carry their yoke, how to carry their wisdom, how to carry their knowledge, uh, and how to practice it. And so to apply, you would sit with a rabbi and they would grill you on questions about the Torah and the prophets and how you read it and how you interpreted it all. And the whole time that they were asking you questions, the whole time that they were grilling you, uh, they'd be thinking, does this kid have what it takes? Like, can this kid do what I do? Can this kid know what I know? Does he have what it takes to do this? Not just can he learn the scriptures from me. But can he follow me? Can he become like me? Can he carry my yoke? Can he do what I do? And then one of two things uh, would happen. Uh, Either the rabbi would send you away saying, I don't think you have it, and send you back home and back to a trade. Or uh, if he thought you were incredible, if he thought you were the very best of the very best, he would look at you and say, follow me. Follow me. Come, leave everything that you have and follow me. Come be a disciple of mine. Sit at my feet. This is what it meant to become a disciple or to become an apprentice of a rabbi. It meant that you had been set apart as the very best of the very best of the very best. And it meant that you had been handed a single and sole purpose to sit at the feet of one man. To sit at the feet of your rabbi, to follow in his footsteps, to to learn what he did. And this was like a years-long process, teenage years to like early 30s. And is, uh, it was the most respected and highest level of Hebrew education, the house of study sitting at the feet of a rabbi. And this framework of education, to me, it gives the gospel scriptures like our reading today some really significant implications. Because what we have in our scripture today, we have a very Jesus thing happening. We see Jesus doing what he did often, uh, where he somehow works within the model of culture and then also turns the model on its head. It's, it's, it's amazing. Matthew tells us that Jesus comes from Judea down to Galilee. He's just been in the desert for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And and he's just found out that John the Baptist is dead. And he does this really curious thing. He doesn't go rescue John the Baptist. Instead, he walks 30 miles to the seashore and he starts preaching. And while he's there, uh, he runs into Andrew and Peter. And then uh, a little while later, James and John. And he says a curious thing. He looks at them and he says... Follow me. Follow me and you'll become fisher of people. Follow me. The same words that the rabbis used, follow me. These uh, four men, they're fishermen. And so according to the school structure that we just talked about, uh, it means a few things. It means that they aren't currently following a rabbi, which means they aren't the best of the best. They weren't the cream of the crop, the the 0.1%. They're tradesmen. They're following a family trade. Most likely their education ended after level one. Maybe they went on uh, to level two. But it means that, that at no point in their lives did a rabbi look at them and say, I see you and I choose you and I call you. You can do it. You have what it takes. And yet here on a seashore, Jesus does that exact thing. To four very regular people, for unspectacular, unchosen men, he says, follow me. And they do. Matthew tells us that they drop their nets and follow him. You can read for that. They drop their lives. They drop everything that they had going for them. And they follow him. 
And this feels really important uh, here to talk about what Jesus was saying to these men. Why would they follow him? I think it's because of what he was saying to them. He he doesn't say, uh, believe in me. He doesn't say, memorize my words or listen to my preaching. He doesn't say, talk and debate with your friends about what my deal is. He says, follow me. And follow me and believe in me are really different. It's kind of the difference between being a fan of something and an apprentice of something. He says, follow, drop your nets, sit at my feet. Learn not just what I say, uh, but what I do. Come be with me, sit with me, talk with me, walk with me, learn how to be like me, and learn how to do what I do. Uh, Growing up, I heard a lot of conversation around believing in Jesus and asking Jesus into my heart. But the conversation Jesus has here with these guys is kind of different than that. And, And this happens at plenty of other points in the scripture. It's not an invitation to believe in him, but one to follow him. To become not just a fan, but an apprentice. And I think somewhere along the way, uh, the the church has taken the invitation of Jesus to follow him, to walk in his steps and to do what he does. And we've taken it, we've turned it uh, into something else of just like believing what he says. It's like we've latched on to the idea that the most important thing that Jesus asks us to do is to know about him. But the invitation of Jesus, it's bigger than that. And it's way more exciting than that. And part of that is because uh, of what the invitation says, not just about Jesus, but what it says about Peter and James and John and Andrew. The only people in Hebrew culture who heard the words, follow me, were the very best of the very best. But this man found these regular guys on a seashore, and he says, follow me. He says to them, I see you, and I believe in you. I think that you have what it takes. Come and learn what I do, and we'll change the whole world together. Uh, I've heard it said that in this moment that uh, most people, when they build something, they try to build something on the back of somebody's, and that in this moment, Jesus started building something on the back of anybody's. Like, he on purpose picks the the B team, the JV, the freshman, the Lance Strolls, if you're a Formula One fan. Uh, Thanks, Justin. (laughs) Um... He picks the JV team and he says, you got it. Let's go change the world together. This is good news for me. It's very good news for me. So why does this matter for us today? Uh, Because I think that the invitation of Jesus has never changed. It, It has never changed. I think it's a bigger than an invitation to believe. It's an invitation to follow. An invitation to become an apprentice to An invitation for anybody to be with him. And an invitation for anybody to do the things that he did. Following Jesus and walking with Jesus, it means you have been picked for the team. You have been invited, not because of what you have to offer or because of what you can do, but because of who Jesus is and because what he has seen in us and what he has done for us and what he will continue to do for and in us. Uh, 1 Corinthians says it really directly. I'm going to read from the message version because it hit the hardest. Uh, It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? That God chose nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. 
that it that makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, and a fresh start, everything comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is this ancient blessing uh, from the rabbis. They would say to someone after they had been chosen to be an apprentice of a rabbi. Uh, and it shows up like centuries before Jesus was born. There's a rabbi, uh, Yoezer, and he writes about it. It shows up after Jesus uh, dies. We see it uh, in Acts 22 hits to it and some other places. But uh, this, this blessing, um, someone would look at a new apprentice of a rabbi and they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And this is what that means. They would be looking at someone saying, may you walk so closely with your rabbi that the dust of his sandals would cover your robes. Uh, the literal translation of Rabbi Yoezer's words is, may you sit at the feet of your rabbi and be powdered in his dust. You ever eaten one of those white powdered donuts? <laughs> that idea. You can't not have it all over you. Uh, we're calling this season dust for this very reason. Because you and me, we've been invited into something bigger than believing in Jesus. We've been invited to follow. And my hope is that we, as apprentices to Jesus, will walk so closely to him that we would be covered in his dust, powdered in his dust, covered in his goodness and his mercy and his hope and his justice and truth and hospitality and signs and wonders and faithfulness and, and, and mystery. I have this picture that I've had all week as I've prayed for today, and it um, comes from Luke chapter 10. If you've been around the church for a while, it may be a familiar passage to you. Uh, I want to read it. It's really short. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She uh, came to Jesus and she said, Lord, it doesn't seem fair that my sister just sits here while I do the work. Tell her to come and help me. But Jesus said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about and Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. The picture that I have that we're being invited into this is what will not be taken away from Mary who sits at the feet of a rabbi powdered in his dust. I think for a lot of us, we have been easily distracted by all of the details, and it has been taken away from us. But here sits Mary in front of Jesus, who pushes all the boundaries. Mary, a woman who wasn't allowed to go to level two education, definitely not allowed to go to three education, and, let, and yet he says she can sit at my feet. That's a pro-women side piece for you. <laughs> the rabbi who pushes all of the boundaries and, and, and is always inviting the unexpected people. Mary, she's not the best of the best according to society and according to her own sister. She has no business being there and yet he invites her to stay and so she sits and powders herself in it. So that's, I think, our invitation today to sit at the feet of the one who sees us and who chooses us and who calls us. Uh, the way I wrote it here is who sees you and calls you anyway. Who offers his feet for sitting, his easy and light yoke, his body, his life, his hope, his love, and who looks at you and says, 
follow me. Come and be with me. Uh, You've got what it takes to learn who I am, and you've got what it takes to do what I do. Come and follow. Don't just come and believe. Come and follow. And then let me help you refine your rough edges, and let me help lead you to what I'm doing in restoring order into you and order into the world. Come be with me and see what I do and, and then do what I do. 